1: And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 363. We're going to talk some recent fantasy baseball news, and we're going to talk about the data monster over at rotofanatic.com. In order to do so, get a first time guest of Bench with Bubba, you can find him on Twitter at P. Fantasy. Paul Mamino, how are we doing, man?
2: I'm doing really great, man. Thanks for having me on tonight.
1: Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah looking forward to it for sure. Uh, before we get into all the, all the, the good stuff here that we're going to talk about. Let everybody know, like, what you got going on at Roto Fanatic, the, what they can check out over there, all that good stuff?
2: Yeah, so um, every week I write a piece I call the GPS Location Report. It kind of takes uh, some of the stuff we're going to talk about with the Data Monster into account, um, kind of focusing a little more on how pitchers locate. And uh, I usually take a single pitcher and kind of break them down. Last week I talked about Brady Singer. Uh, two weeks ago I talked about Zach and or a few weeks ago. And I think tomorrow uh, I'm going to try to talk a little bit about JT Brubaker from Pirates. Um One of the things that I've kind of seen from him so far is that he's actually locating really well for uh, whiffs. And uh, the stuff might not necessarily be as good as some of these other guys, but it might allow him to still generate a good amount of swings and misses.
1: Nice. Nice. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to how we can learn with the data monster and all that good stuff. So we'll get into that. Um, One thing you guys did over the weekend is you released 2021 data into the data monster. So that'll be fun as well. I've had Carmen on the show. We talked for a while and I I mentioned on that show how much I absolutely love your guys' park factor tool. Yeah. Uh, because I'm a very simple individual and you guys make it very simple. So um, I literally one through 32, not or one through 30, not too complicated there. And I appreciate that. So um, I'm looking forward to getting more into this, but let's talk some recent fantasy fantasy news first. We'll start with uh, some injuries, unfortunately, but uh, Max Fried goes to the IL uh, hamstring injury. It, this is not ideal for sure. One would say, but um, we're hoping for the best of Fried. He's been getting hit around to start the season Um. Obviously, you have an IEL spot. You're not dropping Freed, but I guess the thing to look at is uh, how do you go about maybe trying to replace him, or how concerned are you with the hamstring injury?
2: I mean, anytime a pitcher, especially with like lower body stuff, I think we're kind of trained to focus a little more heavily on you know arm injuries and things like that. But you know, Freed got injured running the bases, and that's kind of another thing that we kind of forgot from last year, right? Was what what happens when? these NL pitchers actually have to hit. So we actually care about them being able to run and different things like that. So it might delay him a little bit, but you're definitely not, you know, dropping Freed because you invested a good amount in him if you picked him where you did. So he's a guy you're probably going to hold on to for at least, you know, unless this ends up being a lot bigger of a problem than they let it on to be.
1: Yeah. It's hopefully it's nothing major. It's not messing with the arm or the shoulder, like you're saying. So, Let's just hope for the best here. He was off to a funky start there, and um, we'll have the, the hope he bounces back. You know, the, Soroka's already down now. They got you Yanoa know, coming out looking good, which is nice yeah. to see, but they're, they're still kind of hoping for the best with Atlanta on that one. Uh, let's go to Toronto Blue Jays. It was about a week ago, Paul, where Julian Mayweather, Merriweather was being added for hundreds of dollars in fab all over the place, and how quickly things turn. He leaves with what we thought last night was a hamstring injury. Reports come out Wednesday; it's potentially worse than that because it looks like it's going to be a left oblique strain. Oblique strains terrify me, Paul. Just yeah. terrify me for so many reasons. Um, he's gonna be out for a little while. So, what are you? What are you doing in Toronto?
2: Sorry, I lost my headphones for a second there. Um, I mean, oblique strains. They yeah, I'm with you on them. They are probably one of the scarier things that one of the I think in a sense newer baseball injuries that we've had. I mean, I don't really remember too much talk of obliques, you know, five, 10 years mm-hmm. ago, even. And it's definitely one that tends to linger. And um, anytime with rotational athletes, like pitchers and, and I mean, hitters are too, obliques are going to be a huge problem. So I think for, for that, it's probably going to end up being Romano, uh, Romano that gets it back or, and you know, everyone was drafting him early as the guy, but I think, that it's not a bad idea to take some some dart throws on like the and a few of the, the other guys that they have in that pen that could potentially get saves because it seems like early on the jays were kind of interested in using uh romano in that like fireman role he's had some struggles early so far but i think his his swing and miss stuff makes him kind of elite in that kind of a role so i wouldn't be shocked to see them give some other guys opportunities
1: and that, i like how you mentioned that because people were all like oh it's merriweather merriweather but they were using Romano in the high leverage spots. So they were, they were trusting them with the important situations more often than not, not every game, but a lot of the situations where they both pitched uh, Romano was coming in because of the situation more than anything, not, not because it was the ninth. So I think that's a good point. They might stick with that program and see if it keeps working. Uh, The has been rough, but he was also the guy kind of linked with Merriweather as potential saves. So it wouldn't be a bad idea to speculate. That's for sure. Try to get some guys cheap, see what happens before it gets expensive. Uh, going back to Atlanta now, Kristen Pache, um, not the greatest start to the season we were hoping for uh, out of the youngster, but he's going down to left groin strain. To me, he was pretty much droppable to begin with right now. You can put him on the IL if you want. Any interest in Kristen Pache uh, going forward?
2: I mean, I, there's no reason – uh, for me, there's no reason to hold on to him at this point. Um, he was probably you know in and out of your lineup anyway, if you were even considering starting him. So I think he's a guy that you can easily cut. You know, if if he's not a no doubt starter, there's no reason to be holding him uh on your IL spot. It, it's most likely going to be what Inciarte probably that
1: takes Yeah, and like their started on Wednesday night, so yeah, yeah that's always that's,
2: that's always a he's always a great source of you know cheap steals. He's not going to really do mm-hmm. much else for you, but it, he can swipe some bags, which is probably what you were ideally hoping for from Pache anyway, you know, if he hit for a little bit of power, you were getting a bonus out of it. So it's not a bad one-to-one replacement, but if you're in need of steals, NCRT is definitely a guy I'd be targeting.
1: Yeah. Good point with the NCRT as it was funny too. Like when I saw Pache go on the, uh, the IL this morning, I was thinking, okay, who are they going to replace with? And then all of a sudden I saw NCRT go, oh, well, no, they still have him. I thought he retired or something. Like he just kind of got pushed yeah. to the side the last year or so. And then it's like, yeah, that's, there we go. we got a stolen base target coming up. So We'll yeah. see how long that works. You never know with groin injuries. Could be a while. So And he
2: always seems to last in CRT. I don't I don't know. Mm-hmm. He finds a way on base and he always runs when he does. So, you know, it's not gonna be pretty, but he'll get you your steals.
1: Yeah, a little pesky guy, but he makes it yeah. work, that's for sure. Yeah. Um let's go we don't really have to talk a ton about this, but the Astros we don't know if it's COVID, vaccine issues, so many things going on with them. They lost like half of their starting lineup on uh, Wednesday. So just monitor that one. There's nothing you can really do about it. That is what that is. What it is. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez is on a COVID aisle with COVID. Dylan Cease is on the aisle with COVID. Don't know Cease's situation. They said Teoscar has some mild symptoms, but he's doing okay. So that always makes you think a little bit. I guess the grand scheme of things, at least for the Teoscar part, we have some moving pieces. Gritchick's hitting well. And uh, Guriel's playing well. Oscar's been off to a rough start. Like, how concerned are you with Teoscar right now? I mean, I
2: think if he, I think he's going to play when he comes back, kind of regardless, um, because I think you know it's not like not like Telez or, or some of the other immediate options to kind of fill that back in. Uh, when Springer comes back, we'll have some bigger questions and some True. some more issues when it comes to that. But I think for the, I'm not really too concerned with Teoscar in the sense of performance wise. But um, as we kind of saw with a lot of the guys that did end up having some mild symptoms, they can linger and they can kind of end up being on COVID IL for a long time. I, I mean, I remember I had a lot of uh, Ray Alfaro last season and, and Caleb Smith, and those guys missed almost you know half yeah. of that 60-game season. So there's definitely some concern that this can linger to be a little bit longer than just – you know, I, for a lot of guys, it's going to be 10 days and they'll be back once they're cleared. But there is definitely the possibility that it's a lot longer for some of these guys.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. That's why like I mentioned with the T. Oscar, the fact he's having symptoms makes me go, okay, this isn't like a, a quick in and out type situation here. Get a couple negative tests and we're back. It's like, Ugh. let's, uh, let's hope for the best on this one. Uh, something for the best of positive news here. Sonny Grayson returned this weekend from his back injury. That's good. Cause back injuries are always fun, but uh, there's some moving pieces involved. Jose De Leon's already moving to the bullpen. So let's get a couple of thoughts for you. Um, how cautious are you going to be with Honey Gray going forward, at least for like a start or two? Or are you just like ready to rock and roll no matter what?
2: Um, anywhere I have him, I'm probably starting him. Um, okay. mainly mainly just because you know you've I guess you've held him to this point, but it's not been that long. But the the big thing is, is you know, I feel like for me at least, a lot of the uh, the mid tier of starting pitching has kind of had gotten off to a little bit of a rough start. So I think, you know, Gray, even if, and it was kind of the same approach I took with Zach Gallon, kind of knowing he might only get 60 to 80 pitches, but you know, it's going to be a pretty good 60 to 80 yeah. pitches rather than starting, you know, you might not get a win out of it, but it might get you, you know, six, seven strikeouts in four innings, something like that. So I think I'm still going to kind of ride with Gray early on in the season because uh, um, he was one of, he was a target I had early on in draft season and it kind of started to fade him as it looked like that it might be a. A little bit of a late start for him, but uh definitely going to start him.
1: Now, the fun part of this is with De Leon going back to the bullpen, they already have TJ Anton, who's kind of been the long man, but they're stretching him out. It feels like just the way he pitched in San Francisco the other night where they let him go into his fourth inning just to kind of get his pitches to 60. They're trying to just get him stretched out without sending him down to the alt site. That's what it feels like. Now, with De Leon, he started in two games, nine strikeouts in both games, but lots of walks, lots of hard contact. Maybe going one time through the rotation for three innings, two to three innings is good. Are you intrigued to keep like Are you just keeping an eye on De Leon? Are you interested in rostering them in deep leagues? What's your take on what you've seen so far?
2: I think that um if there was a for, with a team like the Reds where they have a pretty um, solid rotation, you know they have some guys that can go deep into games. I'm a little more interested in a guy like De Leon or even Antone, if he's not in the rotation if they're part of maybe a team like the Rays, where there's a better chance that they start kind of piggybacking those guys and those guys end up being in line for wins. But if those guys are pitching, you know, the sixth to eighth innings in most leagues, they're not going to have a ton of value. Um, if they're going to pitch, you know, if they're going to come in in the fourth and they have a chance to kind of steal a cheap win, then they're definitely guys I'm going to keep an eye on. But until until I kind of see that trend, I'm not really sure that uh, I'm too interested in either of them. But I'd probably put Antone above De Leon just
1: because I mm-hmm. think there's
2: a better shot he replaces Hoffman in the rotation
1: yeah I'm with you on the the Anton over Hoffman thing for sure I think DeLeon coming into the year I kind of had hopes of him being a, a Peralta type that goes through three innings and kind of a swing man type deal so I'm intrigued to see what the Reds do with him for sure uh, let's go to Milwaukee their outfield's been battling injuries uh Yelich with the back injuries he hasn't really played this week uh low Kane leaves with a an, an injury yet again so it's freeing up time for JBJ and RC, which is great. But if you're trying to roster anybody outside of I guess Yelich, you're not. You're just patiently waiting. If you're trying to roster one of the other three in the Brewers' outfield, how are you going about it?
2: Um, I mean, I I was pretty out on Kane uh, thinking about it, so I think it it probably doesn't change my opinion on that too much. Um, I think he kind of goes from being a, a guy you look at as a starter to be a guy you look at as a as a fill-in, as a bench guy, if you really need him. Again, kind of in the NCRT mold, if you need steals, he's going to provide a little more than NCRT, But the same kind of thing, he, he's more a speed threat. Uh, I think it's going to open a decent amount of playing time for JBJ to become kind of a regular. And uh, if Garcia keeps hitting the way he's been, then it's going to be pretty hard for them to, to not play him every day when he comes back. So I think the big thing is going to be looking at how JBJ performs versus... You know, while Kane is out, because if he kind of gets off to a good run and he starts playing well, it could become his center field job, and he won't really give it back too much.
1: Yeah, no, I'm curious to see how it unfolds. I wasn't really in on Kane either. The fact he couldn't really play at all in spring training, mm-hmm. to showed you already, you know, he wasn't he was struggling to get things going, getting older. So I wasn't too worried there. But um, I'd like to see just a consistent playing time for R.C. and J.B.J. be much more fantasy relevant. I'd be intrigued by that. Cabrian um, Hayes, this one's a shame. He came on start of the season on just breaking, and he gets hurt, um, and he's progressing extremely slowly. Like the recent reports a day or two ago, he can't even swing yet, and that's really kind of concerning to me that it's been this long and he's not really swinging the bat. So you're just going to have to sit and wait on that one. But Phillip Evans, he has shown up, and he's hitting 382 with three home runs. Uh, He's only striking out 75 at the time. It's pretty crazy. He's hit safely in seven of ten games, five of those multi-hit games, Looks pretty darn good to me. Are you buying into this Phillip Evans uh, start to the season?
2: Yeah, I I, uh, I picked him up in an OBP league. Um, I started him in in that uh, at a corner infield spot. Um, I, I definitely put some fat bids in on him in NFPC leagues and things like that. I mean, anytime a guy's kind of performing, even if it might not necessarily look great, you know, the surface stats might not back everything up. Um, he's hot. He's hitting near the middle of that order. I'm going to kind of take a chance on it and try to even catch lightning in a bottle especially early on it didn't really take i don't think it took too much to really pick him up mm-hmm. he might go for a little bit more you know this next um this next go around but i definitely think i'm i'm taking some chances on him in spots where i've had uh you know a guy i know a guy I had a lot of times in corner field spots or some cj crones or some bobby Dahlbacks, guys who have kind of gotten off to really slow starts so i'm not really against taking a chance on a guy like that
1: and I like that you mentioned those two. I'm just going to ask you, since you mentioned them, because I've had people on Twitter ask me, like, hey, CJ Krohn, what are we doing? And I'm saying just be patient. You played him, you got him for Coors. He's had one Coors like, week. Didn't go. He placed the Dodgers for crying out loud. Let's like take a breather here and be okay. Are you doing the same thing? He's like, you, you drafted Krohn. Be patient.
2: Yeah. He's not a guy I'm really um, – but neither of those two guys, uh, him or Dahlbeck, because we kind of saw with Dahlbeck last year, he he had yeah. some stretches where he'd hit you know, home runs. Every day, every day of the week. Um, but Crone is definitely a guy I'm going to be patient with because, you know, we forget how how he's missed what now? Uh, almost, two, you know, he missed a lot of, was it 19 that he left hurt and then he didn't mm-hmm. play last year? So he's been yeah. out for a while. So it's it's a question of, you know, he could still be getting his footing and things like that, but it's it's you're going to play him for cores you're playing him for that lineup to play a little bit better than they have been as a whole, except for Ryan McMahon. They've all been pretty terrible. So yeah. I'm not really too concerned. They've gotten you know the Dodgers multiple series to start the year. So I think it's definitely a patient wait, wait and see approach with him.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you. I just wanted to get another, another opinion on that one because people are in full panic mode for a lot of players after 10 or 11 games. It's just like sit back and relax, people. It's okay for now. Um, one that's not okay, one you could definitely drop, is James Paxton. It sucks because – if you like baseball, you like James Paxton. you like he, he's he's a really good pitcher, just can't stay healthy. I thought the six man rotation would do him well in Seattle. He didn't even really get to test that out much. He's having Tommy John surgery, which is a shame. So now you got the rotation of Gonzalez, Dunn, Kikuchi, Flexen, Sheffield. Vicious is taking his spot. I'm assuming you're not interested in Vicious or even maybe Dunn, but not Vicious, I'm assuming. <laughs> no,
2: no. I mean he's uh... a. <laughs> I am not a fan of the pitch yes. to contact left uh, yeah. you know, left handed pitchers. I will, uh, I was one of them, and I wasn't a fan of my own skill set. So <laughs> I want the swing and miss guy. So give, give me, uh, give me the swing and miss guy. So yeah, there's definitely more interest in, in Dunn and some of the other members of that rotation. But yeah, Vicious is is fine to be left on the wire.
1: I was, I was honestly hoping when, when Paxton went down, they'd just stick to a five-man rotation, give us yeah. more Kikuchi, give us more like – because I, I drafted him knowing I wasn't going to get to five-man, but then that happened so soon. It's like, hey, let's just uh, let's switch it up real quick. Let's see what happens. But maybe maybe they'll see Marjorie Vicious' first two and go, yeah, we'll go to five-man. We'll switch yeah, back
0: to We're once. all right, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll be just fine without this. Um, all right, let's go to Arizona. This one came out of nowhere. I, I'm in a bunch of group chats, and – uh, some NFC players were very angry when the Arizona Diamondbacks game started on Monday. And about two innings into the game, when they saw Christian Walker wasn't starting. Like, oh, maybe getting the day off. Then he goes on the 10 day IEL with the right oblique strain. And that was like a, oh no moment. And for many reasons, because A, Christian Walker's a good ball player. We talked about obliques being terrifying. Yeah. But uh, if you put him in on Monday, at least got him for four days on NFC, you're kind of screwed on that one. How concerned are you? We talked about obliques being kind of concerned. And then. Like you're probably not going to play as Drupal Cabrera. There's Matt Mathiasen that they've been switching in and out of there. I don't think there's a great replacement list. Maybe Pavin Smith if you're interested.
2: Yeah, I mean it, I, the one I'd be most interested in is probably Payton Smith. Um, you know, there's a relative level of interest for me with uh, as Drupal because he's available. Uh, he's eligible at a lot of different positions, and he's not a you know he's he's a decent enough hitter. He, he can perform when he gets chances, but you're definitely hoping that Smith kind of takes it and runs with it. I think because um, he definitely has the most. I, I you know I guess potential is the best word to look at it he has the most fantasy potential in a sense and I think he doesn't quite have you know Walker's power upside but it's probably a similar overall skill set he's not going to run he's going to hit for a decent enough average um and probably not have the you know 30 home run power that Walker has more like the the 20 to 25 range
1: Yeah no I was interested in Paven Smith and like deeper best balls and draft champions this off season so it's like now we get to see if my what I think I saw was worth it or not. So I'm running to grab him. If you're in a deep league, and we mentioned Phillip Evans, if you need corner infield, I don't hate it if they're going if they're going to run him out here. Keep an eye on it though, because it's been a, like a rotating circle over there, they haven't really stuck to one guy just yet. So it's kind of like the Tyler Naquin situation. Do you grab him and then he doesn't play anymore? Well, that kind of stinks. So uh, just keep an eye on that before you go and, and pull the trigger on Sunday. This one stinks. It seems like a, a you know the whole reusable tweet type situation here. Byron Buxton out with an injury. This like stinks in so many ways because he's crushing for power, still a little bit of speed, but he's almost – I compare him to Willie Mays in Major League Two where he shows up, just wants to hit bombs, not run anymore. Um, hamstring injury, didn't play in either game of the double hitter on Wednesday. They haven't put him on the IL, so that leaves me with a little confidence. They don't think it's that bad. same time, it's a hamstring injury for a guy who wants to steal bases. So what's your take on this situation right now?
2: I mean, again, you're, he's another guy. You're not cutting, you have him, you're going to wait and see what happens. Um, it's, it's definitely concerning because you know, going back to last year, he didn't really run at all last year either. So this might be kind of the beginning of the end of hoping that he's that, you know, 20, 20, 30, 30 guy that everyone, you know, once dreamed that he could be. Um, I definitely think that they they've had a lot of outfield injuries so far, the twins, you know, they've been kind of beat up in that spot, uh, by quite a few different guys getting hurt and, and different things like that, so it wouldn't shock me to see them not put him on the IL and see if you know a couple of days off helps him out. I think um, you know obviously you're checking tomorrow and seeing if or you know the next lineup there and if they have him. But I think it's pretty reasonable to say you could bench him in a in an NFBC type thing where you have the the weekend coming up and as long as you have a you know decent replacement, obviously. But I think that I wouldn't be shocked if they they held out a little bit longer before putting him on the IL.
1: Yeah, no, it'll it'll be interesting. I hope they hold out. I hope he's okay. Um, for the doubleheader, you get that extra man, so they called up Alex Kirilov. Everyone was jumping for joy. I said, just wait and see if he's there on Thursday because it's the twenty seventh man thing. Yep. And they didn't call him up to start the season when injury started happening. So I think they're still playing games. So that only can there fees up. That's outstanding. Like yes, run with it. Go go have some fun with Kirilov. But uh, I think the Twins are going to Twins this one for a little bit here. Uh, before we get to the data monster, we had Dan McEwen in the chat. He, he said something. So I just want to get your, your thoughts on this. He says, my mountain to die on was drafting Soto over Acuna. Why am I always so dramatically wrong? Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I've had Acuna, Soto. I've rotated them back forth, and I've always put like 1A, 1B. I won't even call one of them two in, in my rankings I've done. Where where do you stand on that? Because he's he's being funny. He's always got silly stuff. Soto could crush Acuna by the end of the season still. We don't know. But where do you stand on Soto, Acuna?
2: I, I would be pro Acuna cause I, um, I like to have that base of steals. If I'm picking, especially if I'm picking at one, um, it's a little bit harder to, you know, fill a, a decent number of steals on the, on the turn at two, three there. So I, I would prefer Acuna just because he is going to run a little bit more, but I mean, if he keeps hitting home runs, he can't steal bases, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm not Very really, uh, I, I think for the most part, it, it's, it's really all about the stolen base thing for me, um, yeah. you know, but, I don't. You can't, like you said, it's one, one A, one B. You can't really go wrong. It's just how you prefer to build your team, kind of going forward.
1: Yes, As Acuna goes deep twice on Wednesday. Soto has like like two or three hits and drives in a few runs. Like these guys are just ridiculous. That's yeah. the bottom line of the whole situation. And they're young, and we're going to have to enjoy them for a long time, hopefully. So it's going to be. Yep. It's going to. I think this is a debate I could ask on podcast down the road every offseason. Who do you have number one, Acuna or Soto? It might be the same story every time. Yep. So every single that, time. That, That'll be a lot of fun, but all right, Paul, let's get into the data monster. This is a ton of fun. You got a ton of cool tools over at Roto Fanatic. Um, we'll kind of start with the basics and you can kind of steer this where you will. When I hear things that trigger me, I'll write them down. We'll, I'll ask you questions on them just to keep things going. But it's like, you have a pitching leaders, you have hitting leaders. We'll leave the prospects for later. We'll focus on pitching and hitting for now. But um, what what are we, what are we doing? Well, let's start with the pitching. When we pull up the pitching leaderboard, what are we, what are we doing with the data monster?
2: Yeah, so the the whole – both the pitching and hitting leaderboards are kind of centered around this uh, this, one t- this, this one general idea, and, and it's all kind of based on the, the value of the location of a given pitch. Um, one of the things that I was kind of really – I've always kind of been fascinated by is, you know, what, what are the different aspects that lead to a swing and miss? What are the different aspects that lead to a take? And how does location kind of play into that? So, you know, if if you and I go out there and I throw 10 pitches down the middle – and you throw 10 pitches up in the zone, you know, you're going or 10 fastballs at the top of the zone, you're probably gonna get more swings and misses just by the fact that you're throwing the ball up in the zone versus down the middle. So what I wanted to try to do was, was there a way for me to understand how much more you would be expected to get based off of that? So, you know, for every pitch, we know the the pitch type, we know the location. And we know the count, um, mainly because every count is going to kind of interact, you know, hitters are going to react a little bit differently in an 0-2 count versus a, an OO 0 count. Um, so what I kind of tried to do was find a way to come up with a, using every pitch that has been thrown in the Statcast era, kind of come up with a number for each pitch. So, you know, what is the expected swing and miss rate of a fastball down the middle? What's the expected swing and miss rate of a fastball up in the zone? And then what that allowed me to do was then for every one of the cool things about baseball and from a, you know, a stat nerd standpoint is that uh, you get a bunch of kind of random trials for everything, essentially. Um, You know, everything gets randomized. Not every pitcher faces the same hitters. Every hitter doesn't face all the same pitchers. So what we can then do at the same time is, you know if i throw 10 pitches down the middle and i get 10 swings and misses that tells me that that pitcher that my fastball probably there's something special about it there's something different about it because it's in a location where you don't expect to get a lot of swings and misses but at the same time i'm actually able to generate them if you throw your fastball up in the zone an area where we expect to see a lot of them but you don't get a lot of swings and misses then that tells me that it's probably you know a, a not an elite fastball in in that sense. So what we can then do is we can break those components of the swing and strike rate down into what I kind of call the command and stuff side of things. So if, if I have a pitcher, like you say, Kikuchi is a great example. He doesn't throw to good locations, but the stuff is really good. So he's able to still generate a good amount of swings and misses on the other end of the spectrum. You have Trevor Williams, who has probably one of the highest expected whiff rates I have in my, in the models, and then, but he doesn't end up turning it into a lot of swings and misses because the stuff is a little bit subpar. So what we can do is we can then um, take all those hitter pitcher combinations and we can kind of extract the the individual influence of a pitcher or a hitter. The best way for me to explain it is if I get Joey Gallo to swing and miss, it doesn't mean as much as if I get um, David Fletcher to swing and miss, or if I get Jeff McNeil, or or a guy who has you know elite contact rates. Or at the same on the other end of the spectrum, swinging and missing against Jacob DeGrom doesn't mean as much for me as a hitter as swinging and missing against another guy would be. So, what we can do is then we, and then I, I've been able to do that for, you know, I model swings with that way. So it's swings and misses, swings, and then what happens when the ball's put in play. Um, so, like an expected woba of a sense based strictly on where you kind of throw the pitch. So again if you throw a lot of fastballs right down the middle you're you're going to probably be expected to be hit pretty hard. If you throw all curveballs in the dirt you're probably not going to be expected to be hit pretty hard. And it's kind of all those same things and then we can extract each individual hitter or pitcher's influence based off of that. And then for pitchers we have um we have a, a command metric that I've built which kind of takes all of these expected rates and how much better than the average pitcher um, each pitcher is at those, those different, different, um, metrics and it helps us to create a command metric of sorts to understand a little bit better, you know, who is locating to pretty much the best locations possible for a pitcher and who's locating to some of the worst locations for a pitcher. Then we can take all of those. And I've built like a, an ERA estimator, um, that I call stuff ERA, which, which takes mostly into account the influences. And then, uh, the command is, is a small part of it, but, um, from the pitcher's standpoint, it's just kind of understanding how we can break out their their actual production to these different components.
1: All right, let's uh, let's break this down a little bit here. So I I picked stuff ERA because that 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 one I can understand. Like Matt Barnes is on the top of the twenty twenty one leaderboard with a two two three stuff ERA. You you mentioned your commands that your RF command says six point five six. There's a bunch of commands there. What's like an average RF command we should be shooting? Is it just zero?
2: Yeah, so it's it's essentially going to, for the command, it's going to center around zero. Um, right now, sure. we're, we're a little early in the season. You're going to see some pretty big fluctuations. But for the most part, zero is average. You know, Negative numbers are below average, and um, uh, anything positive is above. Um, pretty much the easy way of, of understanding it is it's like how many, uh, as a whole, how many standard deviations, better or worse it is. Um, so, you know, a guy that's at like six, that means he's like really exceptional. Um, yeah. you, you know, most of your elite command guys are going to be two and above, but um, but yeah, mo- most things kind of settle around zero.
1: It makes me feel better seeing Craig Kimbrell at nearly twelve, but I'm just that's just the little Craig Kimbrell in me. It also is interesting because you have uh, Glass now, who everyone is just drooling over on Twitter, and for good reasons. The dude's been outstanding. Um, the new the new slider, slutter, whatever they want to call it, it's great. Two four stuffy, are able to minus two six five command. Obviously, it's early, but for me, like when I was always concerned with glass now it was the command because he's walking too many guys or throwing too many pitches in general so he's not going deep into games. Is that something that RF command kind of tells us when you see minus two six five that he's still doing good, but the command's not there. Maybe he's getting helped at the plate. I don't know. I'm trying to um,
2: I mean one of one of the biggest things that I kind of learned in making this is that when I was building the the area I estimated the stuffy RA side of it is that how small of a piece uh, command actually really is Um, you know, we focus on it pretty heavily in in fantasy. We have to worry about walks and things like that. So we, there's definitely good reason for us to be concerned about it as, as fantasy managers and things like that. But in terms of what makes a pitcher elite, it doesn't necessarily mean as much as I think we tend to to give it. Um, So a guy like glass now where the stuff is clearly plus, 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 you know, you know, that he's got some of the, you know, he's got one of the best fastballs, one of the best breaking balls. Now he's got another slider cutter, whatever you want to call it thing, you know, with those kinds of guys, they can outperform what seems to be below average command. Um, if you have a guy like, you know, if if you're Trevor Williams and you don't have elite stuff, or if you're just a guy in general who doesn't have elite stuff and, and your command starts to lack, that's when I'm a little bit more concerned. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to be some some run up where glass now's walk rates will probably climb and they'll probably be, you know, around where he usually is. But one of the things that I've also learned with this is how to kind of, that we can separate um, command and walks and, and how they don't necessarily correlate all that well. Um, One of the the prime examples I have is in previous years, you know, Zach gallon's a guy who he has higher walk rates than you would expect, but he performs pretty well with command um, Corbin Burns was another example of this last year, where he was kind of like average. He was a little bit above average in command in my metrics, but you know he had a high walk rate and things like that. Both of those guys are guys that if you look at where they they locate, they're attacking the corners pretty often. Yeah. So it, it's tech. It, you know they have high walk rates, but they have high walk rates likely on purpose. You know they they know what their um, gallon. The stuff isn't as good as Burns's stuff is, but he knows he can if he can attack those corners. He might walk some guys, but he has enough confidence that it's still going to lead to him to have some success. So command, when you with the way it's graded with the RF command, you're able to have a little bit better of an understanding of that, and you can kind of see guys like that where the walk rates and and the command don't match up.
1: No, I like that. It's kind of like the Cleveland Indian strategy: we just live in the shadow zone and try to get to chase or to paint type situations yep. instead of uh, getting over the heart of the plate. So that makes sense. Okay, that that's. That's a good way to look at it. Um, I changed over to the WOBA function on the pitchers now. And you have WOBA, obviously we know what that is, um, XLW WOBA, and then N WOBA. So I'm assuming N zone WOBA. Is that what that's that so, for?
2: So the the first one, it's it's all WOBA on contact. So the first one is going to be the actual WOBA on contact. The, the XL, that's the location-based. So essentially it's the, you know, pitches in that location, what was their average, uh, you know, Wobecon, essentially, is the easiest way to look at it. And then the influence is when we take, or the last one, the IN, that is the the influence of a given pitcher. So what that means is how much better did they actually, um, how much better was the actual result than um, what was expected, essentially. Um, and that And that factors in the other hitter. So it, it'll take an, a, into account hitter and it'll take into account the pitchers and it'll create a, an influence number. Um, so essentially it, it kind of just, it's another way of um, good way of looking at it is like, you know, X woba minus woba kind of thing, but it takes a little bit more into account the location of the pitch as opposed to the exit velo and things of that nature.
1: Okay. And uh, I'm assuming, cause I know you're talking earlier, the location like down the middle, high in the zone, um, when, when you're doing the Excel WOBA, where are we? Are we talking just down the middle type stuff on this one, or, or are we assuming the pitch location is? It's
2: it's all um, pitch location, count, and pitch type. So and, and okay, again, gotcha, so, gotcha, Yeah, so okay. you know, certain fa- fastball, fastball up might get hit a little bit harder than a curveball down or a curveball up or or anything along those lines. So we need to account for all of those things, but we also need to account for the count because again, in in an 2 count maybe not as much now, but there are still hitters that are going to be taking different swings, especially on breaking balls and things like that, that aren't necessarily trying to hit for as much power.
1: Okay. Uh, when you're looking at these stats per se, because obviously it such a small sample in 2021, um, you, you did all the work in 2020, you probably back-tested it even farther for all I know. Um, so you've, you've checked it all out. When do you think these start having some kind of reliability, I should say, for sample size? Was? Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, I think the the unfortunately the uh, the last one the Inwoba which is probably the, the one that tells us the most, um, just like almost any other contact management metric, it's it's really unreliable year over year. Um, I think I had I, I tweeted out a couple of days ago. You know, for the past three years, Brad Keller was best best and I think second best (laughs) and through three starts, he was worst. So, you know, we're we're all over the place. So uh, with this kind of, with those, it's going to be, it's going to take a little while, like any ball and play metric, it's going to take us a little bit more time than some of the other ones. Um, But in terms of the location stuff, I think it it stabilizes relatively quickly. I mean, I, I wouldn't be citing it as gospel after, you know, two, three starts, but once you get to about 200 pitches or so, 300 pitches or so, I I think it's reasonable to, to kind of start comparing. And when it comes to like the, the XL WOBA and things like that, uh, any of the, so as you'll go through the, the other, um, the other metrics, they all kind of follow the same pattern. There's an actual, there's the location and then there's their influence, the location stuff. I like to look at it for changes, um, because it doesn't necessarily tell us, um, a ton about a pitcher just to say, Oh, he's got the lowest, um, you know, the lowest expected WOBA uh, location-based expected woba in baseball. That's not going to tell me a ton, um, because it doesn't really matter. He could be throwing that at 70 miles an hour and it's not going to really care. Nobody's going to care that, you know, he locates it well, but if you start to see a pitcher make a big change up or down, that kind of signals to me a huge change in approach. So when you can kind of use these metrics as a quick way to see a change in approach, um, and how a pitcher is kind of attacking hitters.
1: Okay. I like that. Um, I'm on the end zone swing function now. So you have end zone swing, end zone X swing just to dumb it down for myself and maybe some others. So like local web 0.538 is, so is that saying they're swinging in zone about 54% of the time, roughly?
2: Yep. Around that. Okay.
1: That's what I'm saying. Okay. So so then the X swing, the axle is 54. So you're expecting the swing because the ball is like 66%. Yes.
2: So again, same kind of, same kind of thing as before. You know, if you throw a first pitch breaking ball, um, you're going to have a lower expected swing rate than a first pitch gotcha,
1: breaking ball. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's gotcha. it's taking
2: all those things into account, and then the Perfect. third one will um, will show there. Again, it, it's kind of it, it, the simplest way of looking at it is the first column minus the second column, but it's yeah. not exactly that because it's going to take a little bit into account. Um, you know, other hitters and a couple other little things like that um and again zero for those is going to be average and then depending on the metric negative or positive is better or worse um uh, surprisingly this this is one of my i like this one a lot because it's actually more stable and i think we we give it credit for and it's a skill that we don't necessarily account for enough with pitchers
1: um why don't we expand on that i i think i know where you're going with this but why do you think it's a skill we don't account for just because they're confident in peppering the zone. so obviously you can't strike out guys all the time by going out of the zone unless you're getting guys to chase but is is there something uh why don't don't you let us know why why do you think it's it's something we don't account for enough
2: well i mean i think for a lot you know the the name of the game for fantasy pitchers is generating is getting strikeouts and i think Mm -hmm. the biggest thing that we always tend to look at is how well a given pitcher you know can they generate swings and misses you know that that's kind of the main thing we focus on and it's like you know, we, there's been some more things with CSW and things like that that have kind of come more mainstream where we're appreciating called strikes. But I think one of the things that we don't appreciate enough is and, and we don't understand well enough is that this is actually a skill that pitchers can have. Um, you know, Aaron Nola has been doing it for years. And I think we've always kind of a lot, a lot of times when I was, um, you know, when he first came up, it was always we're not sure if he's going to be able to keep maintaining these called strike rates, which are kind of helping push up his K rate. So I think that what what happens is we we see pitchers who are actually able to generate takes in the zone and to me that's while well, a swing and miss is the best thing you can do generating a take on a pitch that you know is going to be a strike is honestly one of the best things that a pitcher can do. So if you if you're a pitcher that is confident in doing that that might mean that you're good at throwing, you know, breaking balls in the zone might mean that you're good at attacking the corners of a zone, but the ability to just generate sh- called strikes I think is is one of the more underappreciated skills
1: in baseball. Okay. So yeah, it's kind of where I think you were going with it. That's, it's very true though. We don't talk about it enough. Like we have CSW, which kind of helps factor that in, but uh, yeah, it's not nearly talked about enough in uh, the grand scheme of things. Um, you said this one's the one you like the most, or you think it has the most like quick steadiness to, to be helpful. Um, when we're, when we're evaluating this, you're talking about trying to find changes in things. Like if I, if I log in today and I see, so and so has got an end zone of like minus .02 or something, and then next week I see they got like a plus point oh three. What level of concern or non-concern should I have there?
2: I mean, we're early, so we're going to see a lot of um, pretty big fluctuations. But the the big thing that I would like to to look at, and one of the things that you can do with it is you can go back, and and we have this information going back to 2015. So if you if you see a given pitcher. Um, so like for me, if if I look and it's like, oh wow, he's generating a lot of called strikes. This is this is new. Um, you know why why is this happening? And I go in there and I see um, that the end zone X swing has kind of dropped about five percent, right? So maybe it was at around seventy, now it's around sixty five. Um, if that last column hasn't really changed much, then that tells me that it's it's where he's locating his pitches. So it might mean that his command is taking a little bit of a step up. It might mean that he's come with a different approach. It might mean that he started throwing more first pitch breaking balls um, and and all of those things you can kind of, you, you can then look into it a little bit more, but it helps me a little bit more than just looking at it and saying, oh, um, you know, oh, this is just luck. Like it's not going to, it's not going to maintain if I see a tangible change like that, then it's something I'm interested in. And then at the same time with the, with the. Last column, IZ, and, and all the other ones that are across the, the different metrics, that one is, is the one that if I see a huge difference there, then that means that there might be, um, they might have changed the shape of their fastball, or they might have changed some different things, and then I'll go and I'll look at that. They, they've changed some characteristics that are making the pitch play better, but again, we're, we're early where we're going to see big fluctuations based, you know, game to game kind of thing. So it's it's definitely something you want to be a little bit more cautious with early on in the season, but it's definitely useful to look at how it compares. Not necessarily compare each guy to another pitcher; compare them to themselves from previous years.
1: Okay, no, that that makes a lot of sense. Compare and see the change in each each pitcher. I, I like that quite a bit. Uh, before we go to the hitters, uh, the leaderboards and everything. Are there any early 2021 numbers for pitchers that kind of stands out to you? Like, maybe I should pay attention to this guy or maybe I should be concerned about this guy?
2: Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I'm, it's, I'm actually interested to see how it's, how it's going to end up going today is a guy that I was pretty anti for a while was, uh, was Dustin May because he, he comes up really poorly in the location part of Wifery. Um, so he, he, you know, he throws these fantastic looking pitches, but where he throws them, he aren't really expected to generate a lot of swings and misses. So I was pretty, um, against him for a while because essentially the reality was his, his in whiff wasn't any, wasn't, it was around zero. So essentially what was happening was he's throwing pitches in locations that don't generate swings and misses and hitters aren't interacting with them. They're not swinging and missing more than we would expect, right? They're swinging and missing exactly as much as we'd expect, no no matter the fact that he throws wiffle balls at 99 and (laughs) it looks beautiful. Um, The big thing from his first game was that it it was around the same numbers, but he was actually, he generated far more whiffs than was expected. And one of the interesting things from it was when I kind of looked into it a little more, I had a back and forth with um, some people on Twitter about it is he didn't really need his, he didn't really need anything other than fastballs in his first outing. He threw a ton of cutters, he threw, which generated a a large number of swings and misses, but he threw more forcing fastballs than he had before. And that was more up in the zone. So that's an example of a guy where even though the expected whiff rate doesn't seem any different, um, he is playing, he was playing up a little better in the first outing. But when it, I look and dive into it a little more, I realized that he was actually, he still did change his pitch mix. It's just that fastballs are going to have a lower expected whiff rate than sliders. So I'm curious to see if today, if he throws more breaking balls, if we kind of see that number start to rise. And if we do, then that's really a good sign for May's kind of breakout that everyone's been hoping for.
1: Interesting. That's what I was curious. I saw you tweeting about it. I'm like, well, I can't wait to to hear what he has to say on that one on the show because May's a guy that I have said all draft season that I love watching him. It's fun when everyone makes a GIF of him. Like, his stuff is fun. It's awesome. It's great. It yeah. doesn't attract anybody out because, in my mind, when I used to play ball and you know there's just the guy that's nasty, you're either jumping on the fastball or if you see any kind of spin, you're just going to let it go and see what happens because yeah. you, know, you know there's so much movement on his pitch. Most of the time it's out of the zone somewhere or whatever, and if he makes you look foolish, he makes you look foolish. But I'll let him locate it instead of me falling on my knee or something. But I think that's what a lot of pro hitters were doing. They're seeing like the different grip or something because they're way better at the, than I am. And they're like, you know what? Go get him, kid. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. But, yeah, no, that, but, the stuff's fun to watch.
2: But if but if he does start throwing four seam fastballs up in the zone, which he did in spring training, yeah. then you're going to see a different a difference. Because I mean, oh yeah. Sinker ballers like he is. It doesn't matter how hard you throw sinkers; they they don't generate swings and misses. Like, okay. you know, we had uh, Blake trinan did for a while, but his wasn't his was a splitter pretty much that yeah. he threw it. You know, a hundred. So it it's just the pitch type, I think. And and again, you have a lot of pro hitters that are just not going to swing at something that's moving that much because they kind of know and they're going to make him throw them strikes, and then they're going to kind of jump on it and. From a fantasy standpoint, you know, he might be a great real life pitcher doing that, but from a fantasy standpoint, the upside is capped.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like he was, he's putting four to five really good innings out there. You said it a while back. He's not striking guys out. He's really not having fantasy relevance to me at all. So it's just tricky. It sucks, but yeah. I'll tune in and watch you and I'll enjoy you that way. But <laughs>
2: yeah, no,
1: exactly. That's, that's all I can do. Um, last thing on the pitcher's thing is I just want to clarify it from my brain here. So, like you said it with, with May right there, and I think you said with DeGrom and some others, obviously, fastballs are gonna expect more, you know, swing and miss or expected swing and misses, so on and so forth. So when you mentioned if he throws more off speed pitches, this start out and there's a change, that's something to look that you should look forward to. Um when you're kind of just when you when you just do a general search on the deal, you see the name up uh, and you know this guy's a head fastball pitcher, you kind of just like, uh well, we'll just kind of wait and see and you write it off. Or are you like specifically looking for like off speed guys that, that check the box type thing, if that made sense.
2: Yeah, no. I mean, for, what what you'll see is guys that probably throw more off speed pitches are going to show up higher in the expected numbers. They're going to show up a little bit better, um, just because again we're going to expect swing more swings and or you know more swings and misses on breaking balls than fastballs, um, you know worse contact on those same pitches. You're going to get more takes in the zone. So a, as a whole, you'll see those guys and the expected rates kind of show up a little bit higher. Um, the the guys that I the the main thing that I like to look for when I when, you know if I first if I'll first go in is I like to look at who's high on the the in whiff side of things the the whiff influence because that's pretty much the guys who are creating the most swings and misses and again as a pitcher you know swings and misses takes in the zone those are the two things that I like to look at the most because once you know a ball's put in play we we really don't have as much control over it as a pitcher so you know if you can generate either a take or you can get a swing and miss then you're doing something right um so what you're going to see is some some of those guys um you know if they do have elite fastballs you know they they carry their fastball really well and they're able to generate a lot of swings and misses they're going to show up really well on that list but one of you know you'll also see some of those guys where if you see a change year over year and you see a big jump like um a guy that made a big jump from 19 to 20 was Zach Plisik he made a he made a big jump from I think it was around. I think he had like around a ten uh, expected whiff rate, which you know around a ten expected swing strike rate in nineteen, and then it went up to uh, eleven or twelve in twenty twenty, and that coincided with a huge pitch mix change for him. Um, so as he started, you know, mixing his pitches better, he also started locating his slider really well. And if you look at like his slider heat maps, you'll see it's, you know, in the bottom corner of the zone, that's a spot where you're going to get a lot of swings and misses if you keep throwing your slider there. So when I see big changes like that, um, I'll usually see if it's tied to a pitch mix of some sort change. And if it is, then that's a, that's a big positive for a guy.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes more sense. And lastly, like the in with leaderboard so far, Glacius, DeGrom, Chapman, Bieber, Rogers, Burns glass now that checks the boxes so yeah yeah, that, 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 def- yeah that, that definitely checks the boxes there uh, let's go to the hitting side of things now and a lot of the same metrics obviously but they're going to uh, be a little different for the hitter uh, let's just start with the basics here um, when you're talking about the whiff x-whiffs and whiffs, N whiffs. Uh, we're talking about whiff in general is like cronworth the magical lead the way because heavy contact guys make sense um, what are we trying to look at when we look at just hitters in general
2: um, I, I, again, I think that, um, with this, I think there's a little more the, you know, we know the guys that swing and miss a lot. Um, you know, the Keston here is we know the guys that make a lot of contact, the, the guys who said magical and those guys, I think, um, the big thing to look at here for me, at least is the, so if I go in and, and I look and I go to the player's fan graph page and I see, oh man, he's swinging and missing a lot more this year than he did in any year before. So I'll go and I'll, I'll go to the Data monster. I'll look up what's going on with him. Um, what you might see, and one of the things that I've noticed a lot of times, is that pitchers tend to, a, a guy that swings and misses a lot, pitchers tend to be more and more and more aggressive with them. So that. So what you'll see is you'll see their X whiff rate start to rise. So you'll see a guy like um, Javi Baez or Keston Hira, they'll be pitched more and more aggressively because they kind of know that they're going to swing and miss. Um, so they'll start throwing more off speed stuff because it's a better chance that they're going to swing and miss those pitches. And so when I see a guy swinging strike rate rise, I like to see if it's something he's doing, which will be the in with, or if it's the way that pitchers are attacking him. So once I, if I see it's the way the pitchers are attacking him, then his skill set hasn't necessarily changed. It's just that pitchers might've changed the way that they're pitching him. So for me, it's, it's an interesting way to break down those two components and say, you know is he swinging and missing more because he's gotten worse as a hitter, or is he swinging and missing more because pitchers are changing the way that they throw to him?
1: Interesting. Uh, that's a – wouldn't even have really went there right out the gate. So that's, that's an interesting uh, angle to look at because you have, like you said, the out-of-zone, the end zones, the whiffs, yeah. all the different angles to look at. And when we talk about guys like Javi Baez and Keston here, it's like here I can't hit a fastball. Javi Baez chases everything out of the zone, all these kind of things. So that, that is a very, very intriguing way to go about it. The play here. The, the XL WOBA swing, XL WOBA take, and then SAE. Um, what are we looking at with this SAE category?
2: Yeah, so the, the best way, um, so essentially when I started this whole research, it was um, an attempt to quantify plate discipline a little bit better. Um, I remember when I kind of started started out, I was trying to understand, does you know a guy like Kavan Biggio, does he help or hurt himself by being as selective as he is? Um, you know, or, or guys like that who are hyper selective and they choose to swing at, you know, only very specific pitches. Are are they, are they actually, you know, do they have elite plate discipline because they walk a ton or are they just so selective that they're actually actively hurting themselves? So that was kind of the the basis on how this whole stuff started. So SAE is my attempt at like a, a plate discipline metric. Um, and what what I'll do with it is I, I know the location-based WOBA of every pitch, again, the XL WOBA. So what the hitter has is they have their swing decision or they have their take decision. So what I can know is, you know, what is the average expected WOBA of the pitches that they swung at? And what's the average expected WOBA of the pitches that they didn't swing at? Because, you know, from traditional plate discipline standpoint, we say swing in zone versus swing out of zone. Um, you know, we, we take swing rates in zone minus swing rates out of zone. And and that's kind of where we go. But again, you're going to get docked if I throw a first pitch breaking ball and I dot the outside corner and you didn't swing at that. Yeah. It was in the zone. So it looks worse for your plate discipline in that sense, but that's a pitch that you can't really do too much damage with. So what the idea of SAE is, is how much better is the pitch that they choose to swing at than the pitches that they don't choose to swing at. So, okay. you know, 120 means that they swung at pitches that were 20% better than the pitches they didn't swing at. Um, so you'll see that, you know, everybody will be mostly around above 100 by the end of the season. You'll have some guys um, on the other end that are like early on that are swinging at worse pitches than they're taking. Um, but from the for the most part, you'll see guys kind of settle in. In the, the 100 to about 113, 114 range, you know, Max Muncie's the Aaron Hicks is of the world They they usually are, are on the top. Um, but what you'll see is you'll see some guys that I remember when when I went and started talking about this on Twitter, I, I had a question about, you know, Reese Hoskins, because Reese Hoskins, by all traditional plate discipline metrics, does great. But one of the things that he did poorly for a couple of years was he was so selective that he was not swinging. He was letting really good pitches go by.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: essentially it'll dock hitters for letting good pitches go by and only swinging at, you know, a very small subset of pitches. So it's, it's essentially a, an easy way to understand how much better, how much better of a position are they putting themselves in by the pitches they choose to swing. at.
1: Now I'm very intrigued by that now, because I think one thing during the offseason researching a lot of uh, hitters some of the – a lot, it seemed like the more and more I look at them, a lot of the guys that dropped off in a big way in the short season, you go look at like their their O swing and their their zone swing and all. They were a lot less aggressive, it felt like, at the plate. And I don't know if it was the comfort thing. A lot of the guys, they happen to be guys that didn't get their iPads, that like their iPads. So maybe they weren't as aggressive. So they just weren't comfortable. I, I'd, I'd be intrigued to go back and look at the 2020 numbers here and see if it kind of correlates where – Maybe the you know the the XL will on the take was pretty darn high and they were just taking good pitches basically. So yeah. I, I like this a lot. This is intriguing. I remember
2: writing uh writing a few articles, you know, kind of going uh, we, we did a series this offseason, kind of going position by position and mm-hmm. taking each of the leaderboards and talking about a guy near the top and near the bottom. And that exact thing, I remember writing that so many times. Think Anthony yep. Rizzo one that I remember doing it for. It was like his and Yelich uh, was actually another one, and it was like his mm-hmm. swing rate just, just stopped Dropped. swinging in pitches, and mm-hmm. it just made no sense. And it was like, you know, these are guys who you know are elite hitters, and and all of a sudden they just decided to to kind of put themselves at a disadvantage by just not taking the bat off their shoulders. And mm-hmm. and it was kind of something that I was really fascinating to see how it all played out. And it was like, wow, you know, this was not something you know I would have expected, and and maybe it is. It's a short season sample yeah. and over the you know maybe they do have these fluctuations in their careers but it was definitely something that i think explained a lot of poor performance
1: I'm yeah you know, full season that was a small season and thing that that like you just said basically is that what it is because it stood out like a sore thumb for some guys they were just like like labor tour is a lot less up at the plate, even Javi Baez, who we talked about a lot, he wasn't even swinging the zone as much. He just wasn't swinging the bat. It was just really bizarre with some of these guys that you want them to be aggressive. You you want them facing pitches. That's how they do things. Like <laughs> that's how it works. So that that was very intriguing. And then just looking at the stat here, um, like it, it really, I guess I've always understood hitting like stats a little better than pitching. I'm still trying to develop all those things. There's so many new ones out. That's why I ask a lot of simple questions just to kind of keep it going. But this makes a ton of sense, like out of the zone, in the zone type deals, or swing and take, I mean. Yeah, I got like Nimmo leading off. I bet you, I'm just top of my head, he probably takes that first pitch fastball so many times to start a game. That's just what nemo does. And his XL Woba take is 331, which makes a ton of sense because he's, he's passing on fastballs. And uh, the, like just, just thinking about the player types here, it makes a lot of sense. And like Dan B. Swanson, a little more aggressive than most. His, his take's only 283 because he's literally laying off the bad pitches. So yeah, if he doesn't swing, it's a really yeah. bad pitch. <laughs> I, I, I like this a lot. I guess is yeah. simple yet very effective when I, when I read this stuff. So I'm curious to see how this continues to go along here. Um, what other hitting metrics would you recommend? Because for me, um, as, as simple as I am, like I just want to stay on this page. But I know there's obviously some awesome stuff here. Just like the other ones, like I'm on the – I just clicked on the WOBA one, and it, it's, it's very similar to the pitching one, WOBA, XL WOBA, in WOBA. Um, I'm assuming it's similar to the pitching situation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything is, is pretty much the the way that it's all worked. Is it all kind of, it's all calculated the exact same way. Everything's done the exact same way. So it, it's all the the same um, general idea. And again, it, it's just, it just helps me give a, a better understanding for how um, how it all breaks down for hitters. You know, are they, you know, you might have a guy that anecdotally we think he only crushes fastballs down the middle. Well, we can look at that and we can see, you know, because what you'll see is his N-WOBA probably won't be as high as somebody else, even if they have similar, you know, actual WOBAs. Because what it'll say is that you know more of the pitch location is is why he's able to do so much damage versus his own skill set. Um, so it just kind of helps you to parse to piece out the skill set versus kind of where they're getting if essentially luck and based on where pitches are located for them and things like that. And at the same time. It also helps you understand how they're being attacked as a hitter. Um, guys with lower expected woba, lower XL WOBAs, are probably going to be seeing more off-speed pitches or going to be pitched a little yeah. more carefully. Um, you'll see guys, if you, if you sort by it on the high side, you'll see a lot of kind of, you know, Nicky Lopez was a guy that was up there often in previous seasons, like guys that don't pack a lot of punch because you know just pitchers. Fastballs. Just coming, <laughs> yeah, they're just going right after them. They're just going to throw a yeah. fastball. And you're not going to hit it. So it helps you kind of understand from a pitcher's approach standpoint, and it might say, hey, this guy, they, they seem to pitch him pretty carefully by this. Maybe he's a little bit better of a player than everybody thinks. You know, the surface stats are telling us he might be a better hitter or pitchers might be a little more scared of him than we kind of think.
1: Well, and it makes sense. Like the top five guys, Buxton, Martinez, Otani, Trout, Mercedes, Andy Lacuna go six deep. They're all crushing baseballs. Their yeah. Wobas are like 556 plus, yeah. but the XL Wobas, they're like you have a big gap in between the two. But yet their N-Wobas are still some of the top – on the chart, so I guess what you're trying to say is that they're getting pitched around, or maybe more off-speed pitches. I'm assuming, but they're still pretty much crushing the baseball. Yeah,
2: I mean, we're we're so early where these yeah. are so divergent, but um, you know, what what you can kind of see is it's just you know who are the hitters that are, infl- you know who are the hitters that are getting the most out of the pitches that they're that they're seeing. Um, you know, if they might still be seeing really good to hit pitches, and then they might be still crushing them. Um, and then, you know, they might still be taking full advantage of it, but then you might see these guys, their XL was might start kind of dropping a little bit and, and their production might drop a little bit. And it could just be because pitchers have kind of changed their approaches to them. They might be, um, they might still be performing better than, you know, significantly better than we'd expect them to. But at the same time, it's because pitchers are changing that approach. So that expectation kind of goes down.
1: Okay, I like that. Uh, any hitters standing out to you so far early in the season with, all, with your uh, data monster numbers?
2: I, I tend to dive more into the pitching than the hitting side of things. Uh,
1: we get along right. great, Paul. We get along great because I can do the hitting, you can do the pitching. We'd be so happy. Like I do the pitching because I need to, and it helps me get better at analyzing things, but I get frustrated so many times like trying to <laughs> dig in on it because it's so in-depth. Like, you guys can go pitch mix, spin rates, all this crazy stuff that keeps developing more and more. Like you guys can rabbit hole it for a long time.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, just looking quickly, um, Jose Ramirez like hasn't really is, is high on the, the expected whiff rate, uh, or the, the influence on whiff rate thing. And he's been, you know, struggling a little bit out of the gate. He hasn't been quite the same hitter, but he's always made a decent amount of contact. Um, it's definitely one of the things that's interesting about a guy like him. And I always find those guys that have power like he does. Um, quite interesting when they're able to still make a decent amount of contact. And I think that's kind of partially one of the reasons why Ramirez does have these fluctuations because he makes so much contact that when it's going good, he's going to hit, you know, it's going to be home run, home run, home run. But when it's going poorly, because he's making so much contact, the K rate doesn't look any different. None of those things look any different. It's just kind of a batted ball luck kind of thing. So I think that, you know, it's, it's a positive to see that his, even though he is poorly, you know, he's struggling out the gate. It's not really that he's swinging missing anymore. It's just essentially right now. It seems like it's a batted ball kind of thing.
1: Good to know. Good to know. What's next for the data monster? Where do you plan on taking this thing next?
2: Uh, I mean, uh, one of the things that I want to do is I want to work a little bit more. Um, I want to do a little more research into the the inwoba metrics, especially on the pitching side, because I really do think, and I know Alex Chamberlain's done a bunch of research on it um based on he's done some similar stuff with locations and and how it impacts you know launch angles and things like that i think that there is a way that pitchers do influence um contact you know everything that we see tells us that they don't you know that it's it's all essentially luck but you know from playing from watching you've been around enough guys you've seen enough guys that it's like Something just The ball just comes off, bats differently when he's pitching. So I think one of the big things I want to do is I really want to learn a little bit more about that and try to see if there's a way that I can better understand the stability around that and, and if we can actually kind of parse out, is this skill or is this luck? That's probably the biggest thing in terms of what's already there. Um, the other thing, and we kind of talked about it a little bit, or we briefly mentioned it, but there's two more tabs on there with the, the prospect stuff. Um, that's Mm -hmm. all based on 2019. It's, it's a model that I had built for myself, you know, once I joined a 30 team dynasty league and I was like, (laughs) I don't know who half these players are. Um, and it, and it was okay. I mean, it, it, it picked out some guys who ended up being pretty good in 2019, Brian Reynolds and things like that when they got called up. So I want to kind of expand on that. We had no data from last year, obviously now we're, I don't know what 2021 is going to kind of look like, but one of the things that I do want to do is build on that a little bit more and try to kind of see if I can improve on that and, and do some things for guys before they even get called up.
1: That'd be cool. It's always fun having something to look forward to when, with the prospecting because dynasties are becoming more and more popular, uh, keepers, whatever you want to call them. Or, or, and heck, a lot of young kids are coming up earlier now. So yeah. it, it's it's definitely cool to utilize. Uh, you mentioned like the the different pitch metrics and the quality of contact and creating contact a responsibility of contact, I guess. How much do you think, and we really, this is just purely your speculation. The new baseballs that I think are just goofier than heck, because I've seen balls still leave the yard that should not be leaving the yard. And we got these humidors in different ballparks that some are actually helping create more offense, they said, because it can change the humidity in a different way. Like so many goofy things that we have no control of. So I guess you just kind of have to, you're at the will of the stats. But how do you kind of factor that stuff?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I guess it's one of those things that, you know, when everybody's kind of freaking out about it, we do have to understand it, obviously. But I think from my own personal standpoint, I didn't really adjust anything up or down too much on a lot of guys because, yes, there are definitely going to be some hitters that it's going to affect more. There are going to be some pitchers that it's going to affect more just based on general skill sets. But kind of as a whole, we we kind of tend to overreact, I think, to those things. And it's – especially when it comes to deadening or juicy – you know, bouncing baseballs. I have no idea what's going on with them either. It's all over. It's place. crazy. It. I think we tend to as a as a fantasy baseball industry kind of overreact to that stuff a little bit, and we we understand that there are players that it's going to impact more, but at the same time, we we push those guys down too much. Um, yeah. You know, like like a a Biggio is a good example. A DJ Lemayhew is a good example. Like you know, you watch DJ Lemayhew play, and and DD, did it for years in Yankee Stadium too, like you watch this and you're like how did that ball just go out but like they're both good hitters who knew what they were doing and took advantage of it. LeMahieu's a guy who knows how to hit balls in the air the other way and he's going to take yeah. advantage of it. And yeah, maybe they're barely going out, but he's still going to be able to do that kind of a thing. So I think we we definitely overreact a little bit to it and I think we're we might think we know what's going on and then what's going to happen is we're going to hit June and everything is going to be completely different. So we're looking at, you know, we're comparing things to April April to July, because that's when we started baseball last year. So everything is going to look a little different you know, as a whole.
1: No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Eno Saris came out with a new article on Wednesday at the Athletic. I'm looking forward to reading because he's been working with guys. I think there's still a long way to go on figuring out these baseballs, but like, as a Giants fan, I know how that ballpark plays. Watching even last night's game with Castillo and Gosman on the mound, there were balls that should never have ever left that ballpark. and my I was, I was just amazed by what was going on. So. I'll they, have to wait uh, to see what what happens. They
2: closed the the doors or whatever was open last year, right? They put it back. Last to
1: year, it's back to normal now. So yeah. because you can like they, they can have fans now, they can yeah. kind of do things. So that's happening. But uh, like it was windy last night, but wind has never been a factor. That's why the, the stadium's built that way to kind of get rid of the wind. Yeah. And literally, there was balls just. Crawford hit an opposite field home run. That's all you have to know. <laughs> <laughs> all you need to know. It was ridiculous. Yeah. So, i'm curious i'm very curious to see where it goes like i love seeing them have offense but it's like when you roster pitchers playing in that ballpark for a reason it's like oops that's not going yeah. well. no exactly uh, but um before we, before we call it a night uh, lots of awesome stuff here i'm really looking forward to diving in on this stuff some more uh, we talked about what you have th- coming up for the data monster what do you guys got going on at roto fanatic what's coming up what's next for you guys you got a good group there you guys keep creating more, and more content and more tools and cool stuff so what's next
2: yeah. Um, you know, last week, I think we put the first one out, but, uh, but every week um, Crosby Spencer, who's the guy who was behind all of our part factors, he's uh, he's got, we're going to have, you know, weekly schedule factors, which are going to take into account, you know, where the pitcher is going to be pitching, where, or where a given team's going to be pitching. And then, you know, if you're going to Coors and uh, San Fran, what does that kind of mean compared to a guy who's playing strictly in Baltimore for the week kind of a thing. Um, so if you're kind of trying to make your lineup decisions, we're going to have those things out every week. Um, I know Crosby's looking at some more of his Xstat stuff. He kind of looks at things a little bit differently than Statcast does, so he's going to have some more of that stuff coming out soon. Um, and we just have lots of good content. We have uh, we've guys that were, you know we write about um, relievers every week. We have uh, Dave Funnel does an infirmary report where he kind of talks about um, what's going on in the injury world and, and what we can look at in those things um we have rookie hitter ladders from phil i don't know how to say his last name go, go yet I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it but um you know we have a lot of great stuff coming out and um we're really excited for the
1: season no it's awesome what you guys are doing there i always like seeing new sites thrive and you guys are you're pushing out some awesome things uh, over there so uh looking forward to seeing what's next and uh paul thanks for joining me tonight man lots of fun yeah, talking no, with you for me
2: on. this was a really great time man
1: yeah i'm looking forward to chatting with you again and seeing where this uh, continues to go because I, like I said, I'm a little slow with these things, so I'm gonna enjoy digging in some more and asking some questions because the the concept is outstanding. But my 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 dumb brain's gonna have some fun trying to uh, figure things out later on. But uh, I appreciate the, it. We'll do it again sometime.
2: Uh, one one of the things I've definitely realized is uh, having me explain it as you stare at it definitely helps. When I yeah. try to write it down, it it doesn't uh, it doesn't sound as good to people. <laughs> yeah. So uh, no, no. It's, uh, definitely try to get on podcasts and explain it a little bit better so people know what I'm talking
1: about. Yeah, I pretty much, if I see new metrics or whatever get published, I start like writing down a list of guys that they need to come on my show eventually. Because for my sake and listeners' sakes, like the more we can sit and just talk about it, it yeah. makes it a lot easier in the long run. Because there's so many cool tools out there for like yeah. multiple sites. Like people are doing great work. So it's uh, sometimes there's too many because you can, you need to find one just to pick and go. Yeah. But it's a lot of cool stuff. But uh, yeah. Paul, thanks for joining me, man. We'll do it again sometime.
2: Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on.
1: All right, everybody. Check him out on Twitter at P Fantasy and over at Roto Fanatic. Paul Mamino, everybody. This is Bench with Bubba, episode 363. Catch you guys next time.